Welcome to Coinology, the podcast. Hey guys, there's another another episode of Coinology, and I am so honored to be sitting here today with our guest, Mr. Waking. I've, I've received the proper introduction. I was schooled on that by Angela. King Jay Morrison. So welcome Jay Morrison to Coinology, guys. Peace, Queen. Hey. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing good. I'm so honored to have you here today. I'm honored to be here. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So I think most people may know or not know you are um, a financial expert, I would say, right? In most in most Take cases. That. You are what I think black Americans need today. We need um someone who's going to make us think differently and think outside the box. Um, and I say a trailblazer because you're willing to go in spaces that have not been, you know, tap and you're not afraid to do so. Right. I agree. Right. Right. Fearless. I appreciate that. Thank you. Well, I, I want to say that because I've been watching your journey um, from the very beginning and I've been watching you build and build. I think when I first started following you, you may have only had a couple thousand followers. Mm -hmm. And over the time you've grown and grown and grown and grown and become so successful. And that success, what people don't realize does not come without adversity, but to see you still standing here today, still smiling and still moving forward and pushing financial literacy in our community still says a lot about you as a leader. Yes, I, I appreciate that. Um, they say when we talk about adversity, we talk about leadership, pioneering, mm -hmm. and, and trailblazing. Mm -hmm. um, whoever goes through the door first gets the bloodiest, mm. right? It's like if, if we are all um, looking to embark on new territory, if we're looking to create something for ourselves, liberate our people, create, repair our people, whatever that collective goal is, mm -hmm. um, if it hasn't been done before, and you're gonna sail set to say, I'm gonna find this new territory for us. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna find a solution for us. I'm gonna we're gonna we're gonna work towards that. Um, any learning curve, any adversity, any obstacles, any unknowns, that leader, that trailblazer, that pioneer is gonna face those things and burn those mm -hmm. things first. And I truly believe, uh, especially as black men, it's, it's it's our job and it's our duty. Mm -hmm. It's our community. But everybody doesn't have it in them. I agree with that, too. Right. Everybody doesn't have it in them. And so that's one of the reasons why we have coinology, because I do want to talk about those who do have it in them. Right. And so if people think getting to the top is without scars, then they really don't know what getting to the top really consists of. Let's talk Absolutely. a little bit, though, about your upbringing. Who, who is Jay Morrison? What is it that we don't know about Jay? Oh, man. Um I've been very transparent and vulnerable about my story, so, so many may know a lot. Um, but I think um, one thing I think is special about my upbringing is that I truly feel that I was called to do the work I do today and given a specific journey and adversities and stories so that I can be more relatable to the people that I'm here to serve. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that's everything from, um, you know, I say often in my opening with lectures and things, my mom was 17 years old when she had me, mm -hmm. but she got off the abortion table to have me. She literally was on the table mm. ready to have an abortion and um, just couldn't do it mm -hmm. and got off the table. So my life was challenged before it was even my life. And yeah. uh, then growing up, we grew up in poverty and, mm -hmm. and my mom literally would go in stores and swap out my sneakers right in the store and walk out. Mm -hmm. And that's how she, that's how I got new kicks. And, mm -hmm. you know, we grew up on welfare and food stamps and 
Uh, my earliest memories of my, my father, my, my stepfather who, who raised me, was visiting him in prison in county jails. He would send stuff home for Christmas. He they had like a wood shop in a county jail. He'd send like home like nunchucks and Chinese stars and things like, like you know mm-hmm. karate back when I was a kid. So I just knew those experiences um, and really grew up in the hood in a small town, Somerville, New Jersey. And um, having made up my mind early though, seeing so much poverty, seeing some abuse, seeing drug addiction, um, I knew at like six, seven years old in Plainfield, New Jersey, I was like, I want a million trillion dollars. But I, like, I meant it though. Mm-hmm. Like, and I did you know how you were going to do it? No, but I just had this burning like thing in me, this burning desire. That's that's you know what that's deep. I want to stop there because I can relate to that. I remember being a little girl growing up on Shell Road. I'm from Hampton, Virginia, and I remember that I wanted more, but I didn't know how I was going to get it because the exposure. So your exposure was limited. Yes. But you knew that that wasn't it for you. I knew that I knew. You knew that you knew. I knew that I knew. Um, real quick, should I put my other headphone on? Is that how you do it here? I want it to be cool like the rappers. And have oh, the rappers. Okay. Um, I don't know I, if I'm I, cool. I, both, I have it on both. Uh, but I'm, is I'm that cool? Is that, okay. So, but no, you know, that's so interesting because um, I've carried that burning desire with me my whole life. Mm-hmm. Uh, my first time making money for myself was in fourth grade. Um, in our apartment complex, we were in a low-income housing um, complex, mm-hmm. and there we were playing football, touch football, tackle football, mm-hmm. and by the garbage can, and I saw a, a broken fish tank that had all these like pretty marbles. So I'm like, I just collected all the marbles, mm-hmm. and then my friends like, I want one. I'm like, yo, it's five cents. Like, <laughs> and it's ten cents, mm-hmm. and I had a whole bunch of marbles, and I brought them to school the next day. And uh, we went, we lived in. Uh, my mom moved us from an inner city, Plainfield, New Jersey, mm-hmm. to a, a suburb, Bridgewater, New Jersey. We lived in a kind of the poor part of that town, but. Mm-hmm. I was uh, one of the few black kids in my grade. And so when I got to school, all the white kids were like, yo, I want some. So I'm charging mm-hmm. 25 cents, 35 cents. Mm-hmm. But then as I got down, I'm like my last four or five, I'm like, it was a dollar. Right. Like, you I, knew you knew then the exclusivity. I knew right? supply and demand early. Yep. Like it only made sense. Like mm-hmm. I only got a few left. Like mm-hmm. the price got to go up. All y'all <laughs> want this and that's all I got. Mm-hmm. And so um, I made like $40 at mm-hmm. fourth grade. And uh, uh, it was around Mother's Day. And I bought my mom a bunch of flowers, brought them home. Mm-hmm. And then I got a beating when I got home. So like, where did this money from, boy? Like, <laughs> I got in trouble for trying, trying to do good. But that was my first hustle. Mm-hmm. And then by fifth grade, I uh, would make money on lunchtime. I had a cool kids class. Mm-hmm. I would teach the kids in my class how to dance and how to dress. And I literally charged them to be cool. Okay. That was my first, my second hustle. All right. So you charged them to be a part of the crew. Yeah, well, well, it was to teach them how to be cool. To be cool. Yes. I'm I, surprised up in New Jersey they just didn't know how to be cool already. It was mostly white kids. Oh, okay. So okay. they were trying to get the culture. So <laughs> I, I, I was teaching the culture early. So I'm like, you want this Bart Simpson shirt? Let me show you how, how to, to do it, right? Yeah, you want, you want, <laughs> or how these, to rock it, right? It's right. like you just asked me which ear to, yeah. yeah He's still I'm, I'm studying I'm which way. I'm sure you had to rock this thing real quick. <laughs> and so I charged for it. But I, I just mm-hmm. knew that um, I, I wanted more and I needed more early in life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so... Where did the change come about? So, you you know, high school and then we had a turn, right? Mm-hmm. So w- what exactly made that turn? Uh, my my shift happened. Um, my heart got broken. Uh, I was committed to basketball. Mm-hmm. My, my, my uncle, my grandfather has 13 children by seven different women. Mm-hmm. He was a Rolling Stone. Mm-hmm. One of my uncles is Eric Murdoch, former NBA player. Mm. And... Um, and a few of my cousins went to the league or played professional basketball, got scholarships. So our whole family played sports. And mm-hmm. I just, I was tall, I was athletic. Mm-hmm. And so I thought I was going to make it in sports. And so 
I was very committed to basketball. I played AAU, did all the camps, all that. And then um, like my sophomore, going to my junior year, uh, my coach, partly him, partly me, um, I was hanging around what was the wrong crowd. Mm -hmm. and But it was the black kids. Mm -hmm. And I went to, a, again, a majority white high school. So my coach is like, you got to stop hanging with them. I'm like, I'm not going to stop hanging with them. Like, well, these are people hanging that, with my people, right? right? These are, these mm -hmm. are people in my, my neighborhood. I got to go home and sit on a green box with them. Mm -hmm. But you're saying, like, you know, the sag in the pants. Why are you wearing, like, construction boots to school? Like, mm -hmm. why are you wearing, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. We weren't Timberlands. He's like, why are you wearing construction boots for, right? Mm -hmm. You're a basketball player. Mm -hmm. So, um, and, and I had a lot of animosity because of things that was going on at, at home as well. So I had a very bad anger issue, uh, very bad temper. And so I got in a lot of trouble. And by my junior year, um, he had kicked me off the basketball team or had, like, delayed my progress in basketball. And um, I was going through things at home as well with my, my stepfather and my mom. And um, I left home, and I dropped out of high school. Hmm. And so I found myself literally homeless, just kind of roaming the streets, sleeping on friends' couches, friends' basements. And uh, some of my older cousins and guys I knew in the neighborhood, they were selling crack. And it was like, hey, you could take this pack and, you know, you and sell it. it. Yeah, yeah you take, it's a hundred pack. You keep you keep $30, bring you back 70 And so when my stomach is hungry, I'm trying to get some cheese sticks from Pizza Hut or mm -hmm, something. Mm -hmm. Or chicken wings and fried what rice. What was the coaches, though? The coaches just left you out there to dry? Yeah, it was like, all right, you're a knucklehead. You're a bad kid. You're, you know, you're whatever. So, you know, that that disappointed me, too, because I, cause I, cause yeah. I, my coach had got me one of my first jobs. You know, I was with him during camps. You know, I interned with him in a sense. And so I had this, and, and I was lacking kind of a fatherly and manly love. Mm -hmm. And so I thought my coach was that. Mm -hmm. And so when he, too, shut me out, it was like, you know. So that was the true heartbreak. It was. Even yeah. beyond the basketball. Right. It was the disappointment hmm. of that male figure yet again in your life that turned away. Absolutely. Because I'm sure in your mind, you may not even know it now, but I'm sure as a child, you probably longed for him to come and say, let me rescue you from this. Right, right, right. Like, like love me beyond where I'm at. Right. Right. And right. It was conditional. It wasn't unconditional. And so at that time, I just realized I had to take care of myself. And um, so I hit the streets and, and, and then I just, you know, went hard at it. I ended up going back to high school uh, to an alter alternative program. Mm -hmm. Um Took my bumps and bruises in the streets. I played a lot. You know, they was you know the older guys they be using you out there. Mm -hmm. um, but when I got the hang of it, um, my ambition kicked in, and I got really good at it. Wow. So so financial literacy, even from that perspective, started pretty young. It, it did. Yeah. I mean, at that time, I mean, you had to learn. You know what seventy thirty on a pack was, or sixty forty, or you know what I mean. Like mm -hmm. You had to learn, and you had to know that you weren't getting gypped. And that you weren't getting gypped. You right. know that. You know, like we we bought we bought grams of coke for twenty dollars, and we sold it for a hundred dollars in our town. So you sold. You wow. Know, uh, you got five twenties out of one gram. So you sold two for thirty-five, three for fifty, four for seventy, six for a hundred. I often think about Jay. How many uh, CEOs is still locked up right now? I mean, brilliant. Hundreds of thousands. Brilliant. They created um, corporations. It just wasn't legal. Correct that are still locked up the minds that we have, right? And what's super sad is many of those those uh, street entrepreneurs or street CEOs um, created corporations around marijuana, which is now legal. But that was because, right. Now, you just said two things. One, visibility, right? They created it because that's all they knew to do. They didn't have access like we have now with Instagram to be able to know that there's other products to be able to sell. But the other part is I think it would hit me in my stomach super hard that I was sitting in prison right now before something is legal. Mm-hmm. That would hurt. Right. 
right? Yeah. So, yeah, so that was, like, my, my early stages. And I also then, like, I was going to high school, and I started playing ball again mm-hmm. at an alternative high school, vocational high school. And so I bailed one of my cousins out of jail, and I let him work for me during the day. And then I had some other people working for me. So then I started staffing. I had mm-hmm. to replace myself. Mm-hmm. And then I got into like systems. Like, okay, well, here's how we're going to pick up. Here's how we're going to bag up. Here's how we're going to work out. So mm-hmm. these are just natural things of like, how do you make the process easier? Like, mm-hmm. right? How do you scale? How do you grow? Um, so those are my, my early days of like understanding like entrepreneurship before I knew it was entrepreneurship. Do you think some people are just, so do, I believe that you're born with it. Do you believe that you're born with it or do you believe you're, you learn it? I don't think it's an either or. It can be both. Mm-hmm. I believe that some people have something special in them. It just takes something or someone to bring it out. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so what brought it out in you, though? Uh, you know, I got to say my mom. My mom was a hustler. Mm-hmm. Like, not only did she sell drugs, literally, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but she also slung newspapers, mm-hmm. had a paper route. She also, you know, I would li- literally, my mom would get us up at four in the morning and we bag up hundreds of newspapers. Mm-hmm. So you fold them, put them in rubber bands, or if it's raining out or snowing, you have to put them in plastic bags. Mm-hmm. Me and my sister, until I'm like 12 years old, bagging up. And then we go deliver them 6 a.m., 5 a.m. on a Sunday morning, before church, before, mm-hmm. before Sunday school. Mm-hmm. And I just saw my mom have this like, you know, amazing level of drive. She had, in addition to that, she had childcare. She would watch kids and just like, just figure it out. And so like, when you have a, a parents around you, yeah, my stepfather too. He was, was a hardworking man. I mean, he, he you know he got caught up in the streets as well, but he always was hardworking. And so like my grandma, hardworking. So mm-hmm. that work ethic was instilled from me within my family, and with that kind of drive, you know, I think a lot of people they have it in them, but you know they get lazy, mm-hmm. they get distracted, um, they, they they make bad decisions or can't recover from adversity, right? And so you still got it in you, mm-hmm. but you let circumstance. Stop you. Kind of defeat you. So do you believe in the talented tenth? Yeah, I do. You do? Yes. So if so do you believe that only the top ten percent have it in them and can focus? I believe that only the ten I believe that only about ten percent of us do. Mm-hmm. Not that they have it in them and focus, but that we actually do. Mm-hmm. I think but more why? people why? and it might even be growing nowadays mm-hmm. because of exposure. Mm-hmm. Because it, it's now more real. Right. So like a, a lot of I think what where people don't try bigger things, or don't believe they could be a millionaire, a hundred thousandaire or don't have big aspirations is because it hasn't been made visible enough and mm-hmm. real enough to them. Mm-hmm. So for me, selling drugs, being a ball player, I've I seen my uncle go to the NBA. Mm-hmm. So you knew I, that was real. Right. Mm-hmm. I've seen drug dealers come with new cars, big chains, the prettiest girl, like wads of cash. Mm-hmm. Um I seen rappers. I seen Jay Z. Right, we seen rappers be successful in those mm-hmm. kind of things. So those were real. Being a, a, a real estate fund manager, I had no idea what that was. Being mm-hmm. a, um, you know, an entrepreneur, being an author, like I didn't, you know, like these things didn't seem possible or really seemed like for other people. Mm-hmm. So I think exposure helps expand that talented tenth to maybe a talent, talented twenty percent of us. Mm-hmm. Um, just from exposure, you'll find people that do have the motivation, they have the intangible skills, they have it in them. But now that they see it's actually possible, they're now inspired to do more. Inspire, inspire. And then you have, so I think the Talisman Tim 2, Jay, King Jay, also are the leaders, the trailblazers that probably 
influence the right. other 10 percent that make up the 20 that you're talking about right start somewhere so right. it has to start and everybody just doesn't have that trailblazerness in them to be able one to be able to think be creative and to be able to handle the adversity and fight through mm-hmm. most people give up somewhere through that that period so you ended up becoming incarcerated yes how long were you away uh, first time for a year, second time for a year and a half. So um, by the age of uh, 21, um, I had three felonies in three different states mm. and served two and a half years in prison. So you had to find a way outside of a nine to five. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I, I, you know, when I meet people and they use the felony as an excuse to just give up, I'm often confused because most of the most successful people that I know have a felony or something of that magnitude because of whatever happened, you know, growing up and that push because they had no other way. Yeah. Was their outlet. I, I think with all excuses, man, I, th- I think excuses are our excuse to just bail out and not do the work. Mm-hmm. So it might be harder, but still not. Right. So it's like, I just, I believe in the saying, there's no excuses, just results. That's right. That's right. So when did you realize that you were this financial expert that your literacy in finance was greater than the average person uh probably early on like 2006 i got into mortgages in 2002 while on parole i went back to the streets for a few years 2005 Mm -hmm. got really serious about it became a realtor loan officer owned a few properties uh, about a million or so in real estate but um by 2006 as i really started like learning about loan products and financing and how it all works um I wasn't close to my, my financial acumen today, but I knew more than 99% of people in the hood mm-hmm. and probably more than 90% of people in America mm-hmm. in general, mm-hmm. just because it's not taught anywhere, mm-hmm. right? You don't learn, you know, what a loan to value is. You did you have a mentor, credit. books? Well, how did you learn? Um, very little books, um, which I got to work on, but very little books. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a doer. I'm an action taker. Mm-hmm. And so, so I did have mentors. Uh, Lashida Thomas, who actually works with me today as my senior fund administrator. Mm-hmm. She's one of my first mentors in 2002 um, in mortgages. And then John Wenzel, who I call my white dad. Mm-hmm. He's like he's kind of that reflection of my coach. My, my coach is also white. Mm-hmm. But he was like a man that took me on at 50 years old and was like, oh, you want to learn the business? I was coming out of the streets. I was rough around the edges, mm-hmm. like chip tooth and all. And he, <laughs> and he's like, hey, you know, like mm-hmm. – um, Come in, and, and I literally helped them build this mortgage company up to, like, nine branches, uh, $50 million business, uh, where, I mean, I literally helped them put the chairs together, the tables together, mm-hmm. and he showed me the ropes of the business. Um, and our, our relationship was so clo- close, and it was unconditional to the point where even when I couldn't close any loans for several months, I was learning the business and trying to build a pipeline, he would just give me a draw. Like, mm-hmm. here you go. I see you working hard. Here you go. Like, we'll just take out your first commissions and, like, just – and, and um, I struggled for like nine months trying to learn real estate coming out of the streets, learning professional etiquette, learning the terms, like building, getting people to trust me. Mm -hmm. And I was going to go back to the streets uh, about nine months into the business because it just wasn't working for me. And the month I was going to relapse, uh, I made Mm. $13,000 on on mortgage and real estate commissions. And the next month I made $30,000. And then four months later I made $93,000. Wow. 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 That, <laughs> yeah, life. that definitely kept you from running back to the right. streets, right? So at that time, it was the time where I knew, like, okay, I I'm on to something. Yeah, I'm, I, got, I need to, to. And so then came Instagram. Yeah, I mean, Instagram's probably like eight years after. This is like 2006, 2007. So, right, so I right. became a millionaire in real estate by 27. That was 2007. So you were real 
you were a real millionaire before. I hate to say it, the fake millionaires. You know, we got a lot of like, folks that's like on pandemic Instagram. Pandemic millionaires. I call pandemic, pandemic millionaires. millionaires. Yeah. We just talking about that. But you were doing this before it became popular to do it. Yeah, and shout out to them. You know, we've made a million, made a million, however you got it. I ain't mad at you. Right, but, right. But, but it's a different. That, that new money is different than this old money. Yeah, because you know the, the actual process. I feel like in order to sustain it, you have to go through the actual process, the ups, the lows, the downs, the ebbs, the flows. If you don't go through that, it, the, the sustainability is what you're going to lack. Yeah. And that's the value I give a lot of my coaching clients and my students, et cetera, is like you're not just getting YouTube University from me. You're just not getting like recent success and recent hacks or traits. You're talking about, I see my first 100,000 at 17, my first million by 27. Like, wow. I've been, uh, you know, my first Roly was at 17. Mm -hmm. like, I've been doing this. You've been doing Now, you saw, when you first joined Instagram or when I first took notice mm -hmm. of you on Instagram, right, 2012, you didn't have a huge following. But mm -hmm. I saw you move quickly to build a following. I think you knew then that... In order to actually move numbers, you have to increase the following. Because I saw you go into it with a lot of effort. Was yeah. that was that purposeful? It was. And that just reminds me like where I'm at today. We'll get into that later, though. Mm -hmm. But um, I put a lot of effort into it. And I was mentored by Emery Jones, who's Jay-Z's partner in Rock Nation. Okay. And Emery did 10 years in prison. And we have mm -hmm. mutual friends who are part of the same kind of crew of uh, guys down in Maryland. And I got to like shadow him at Rock Nation and Rockefeller, Rock Aware, and, mm -hmm. um, and I got to see how Jay Z's company was built. And I built my company kind of the same model. Mm -hmm. And it was like Jay Z mm -hmm. tap dances on stage, right? He's the best at what he does. The and Emory, best. And Emory always told me like, "Go do what you do best." Because mm -hmm. I was in music at one point. I got out of real estate after the market crashed. Mm -hmm. That's when I met E. I got out of real estate. Uh, was in music, party promotions, doing other things, trying mm -hmm. to figure out figure out my route. And he was like, bro, when I was in prison, like, I heard about you, like, you were the guy. Because I was on BET in, like, 2006, 2007 on a show called Transformations. Mm -hmm. I was, uh, they acknowledged my real estate journey. Uh, I ended up winning a Rock Aware I Would Not Lose campaign in 2007. And I had billboards in Times Square and in Vegas mm. for, my, for my life transformation and story in, in real estate. So, but I didn't understand branding then. Mm -hmm. So, to me, it was like, yo, all right, cool. But, uh, you know, you didn't know how to make it work. For right, you. right. 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 And so mm -hmm. then in 2012, as I, as, I, as I talked to E and I saw how Hove used branding to be his top of funnel, we call it, mm -hmm. to bring eyeballs or what I call be a rainmaker. Mm -hmm. And now your businesses are the buckets that catch the rain. That's right. So I was mm -hmm. like, OK, as long as I become influential enough and big enough, I can always create a business model. Right. To be able to mm -hmm. profit off of, especially with the, the financial acumen I have, and especially when I know that you can do more real estate deals with more people. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, 2012, man, I started like everybody else, zero followers. And I mean, for, for I remember my first posts were like, I, mean, I had some cool posts, like fly outfits, cars, all of that, <laughs> seven likes, like, where it's not even a number, it's just names, like Brianna, right, Tiffany, right. right? And, um, you know, we just grinded it up. So I was like, you know what? It doesn't matter how many people show up. I'm going to do more classes. I'm going to post more videos. I'm going to post more on YouTube. I'm just going to flood it. Like, mm -hmm. I just literally just like. And you went live like every day. Like every day. Consistency. Yeah, consistency. Yeah. And that's the thing I tell people, you know, don't be afraid of the humble beginnings. And that's the part that most people are afraid of, people seeing them start small and continuously going, right? So then became the Tesla. Tulsa. Tulsa. Mm-hmm. Uh, fund, yes, right? Tulsa Real Estate Fund. So brilliant. How did that come to be? So early on on my Instagram days, maybe 2014 or so, I had maybe like 30,000 or so followers. And I did a post. Uh, we were looking at some properties in Cleveland, Ohio. I'm like, hey, I'm looking at some properties. They're $80,000. Um, I don't need any partners, but if anyone would like to be a part of this, 
uh, I might take on some partners, minimum minimum $10,000 investment. Mm-hmm. And I got like 80 responses in like the first hour mm-hmm. of people that want to be a part of it and a bunch of emails. And I talked to my lawyer, like, you know what? You can't do that. Like, that's breaking blue sky laws. Like, you know, you, there's a way you got to actually register to raise capital publicly. Mm-hmm. And so I started doing that research in 2014, um, kind of put it on park for a little bit. And then 2015, Freddie Gray happened in Baltimore. And I was a part of that, that, that activist and uh, protest activism. And everyone was saying, we got to build the Black Wall Street. Mm-hmm. We got to build the Black Wall Street. And this goes into trailblazing and pioneering and being a visionary. It's like, I'm not with all the talk. So if we're going to say we want to build a black Wall Street or we want to start this company or we want to do this initiative, so let's reverse engineer, let's work backwards. Well, what's that look like? Mm-hmm. And so if we're going to build a black Wall Street. Like, don't we need some kind of financial institution for how we all can do it? Mm-hmm. So where's mm-hmm. that at? Mm-hmm. Or we going to just hashtag and tweet? That's right. And so I, I reflected on the old uh, fake capital raise that I did mm-hmm. on Instagram. And I was like, you know what? I don't have a bunch of wealthy friends for me to tap into, but I do got a nice following and a nice base. And so we did more research and found out that President Obama had passed the Jobs Act, which made it now eligible for you to market publicly a capital raise, right, mm-hmm. through what's called a reggae fund. Mm-hmm. And so um, we put the following in in 2016. We formed a company, Tulsa Real Estate Fund, Tulsa, a.k.a. Black Wall Street of Tulsa, Oklahoma, right? And mm-hmm. so I didn't want to do a Black Wall Street fund. I didn't feel like that was going to fly with the government. Right. But uh, mm-hmm. we did a Tulsa Real Estate Fund. In 2016, we registered it. Registered it. And I applied, even as a three-time felon, no college education, none of that. I applied as a, a new fund manager. And by 2018, we were approved, and we launched a historic fund. Amazing, amazing. And, and the whole purpose was to allow those who typically knew nothing about investing or did not have enough capital to really make a dent. Correct. To have an opportunity to own a piece of America, correct? Is that yes. the original? It was originally to practice group economics. But the problem I think that most people have is that they don't understand financial literacy, right? That is a big part of it. Right. And, and we've never been through this before. Never. And so, and I think by nature, we as African Americans tend to distrust. We, 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 we don't want to believe. And I think that there's also this syndrome of folks who believe in this get-rich-quick scheme. They Everybody's trying to do things real quick without understanding that everything takes time. There's a process for everything. So do you, you know, how do you deal with the naysayers because they just don't understand the process. I think that's what most of this is about, not understanding. Yeah, I, well, I think there's two parts to it, right? And that, and that's something I like to clarify is because we've had, so so everyone's to be clear, Tulsa Real Estate Fund partnered with over 15,000 families from 22 countries. Mm-hmm. And we raised a, a little over $11.5 million, and we have invested millions of dollars into black developments all over the country, including our black house here in Atlanta, Georgia. Um but we still, to this day, have over 14,000 partners. Wow. In four years. We've retained that many partners. Mm-hmm. Our partners and even some of their lack of education or financial astuteness really has not been our problem. The problem has been the outsiders and the instigators in our community oh. who have a problem with what we've done, who have no skin in the game of what we've done. So do you think that comes from illiteracy or do you think that comes from jealousy, envy, what, what is it that, what do you think that is? Because I assumed it was the internals. Everybody no. does, no. It was all the noisemakers around or naysayers were all people were saying, y'all are stupid for doing that. 
Ah, okay. Why are y'all doing that? This okay. is going on. And and so I think it was, um, we had so much momentum, so much uh, hype, so much movement, um, and we still do. Mm-hmm. And it, it's similar to what Marcus Garvey did in 1921 with the UNIA and the Black Star Line. Mm-hmm. They raised $800,000 with mm-hmm. $5 investments, and which is equivalent to $10.3 million today. Um, and I think it's like, it's, just, it's, our, it's our trauma is what it is, boils mm-hmm. down to. Some mm-hmm. of it could be trauma, which creates a crab in a bucket and hate who this Negro think he is. Right, right. right. I've, I've people say, well, he's not qualified to do that. Mm-hmm. What qualifies him to do it? Mm-hmm. The fact that I did it. Mm-hmm. Right? And so, that same thing can be you. Right? right. Anybody, right? Just do it, right? Just do the work. Right, right. So right. it's like, okay, if you see errors or holes or gaps in what I've done, you have free will to go create something better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or to figure out how to collaborate with me to help us improve because it's a group thing. It's not about me. It's about we. It, but, you know, as an outsider looking in, it was so disheartening to see such strong, smart, intelligent, well put together African-American men going at each other like that. And I'm like, we're trying to uplift the community. We're trying. You, you were trying to... Um, Bring along folks. And um, without even giving one or the other an opportunity to be able to talk about what's really going on, just think about how many people missed out on the opportunity because of the noise. And I often wondered how, you know, how did you keep up? How did you keep going? What made you decide to still and not just walk away from this? Y'all figure it out because I already <laughs> got mine. Y'all get y'all. I mean, what, what made you not have that attitude? Um, trust me, it crossed my mind many a time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, y'all Negroes, man. Mm-hmm. But um, mm-hmm. I, I really think I, I have a deep love for our people. And, and, and love is patient. Love is kind. Love is long-suffering. And I have an understanding of our trauma. Like I really have done my research and my history. And I, I'm a Malcolmite. I'm a Garveyite. And, and and I get like, if we're going to create something new for ourselves, like think about Harriet Tubman. Mm-hmm. She had to literally force people to get free. Yes. Like, which, yes. like how to put a and gun her in Her own you? people turned her in. Right. Look her at Garvey. People. His own people did him in. Yeah. Look at Malcolm. Yeah. Right. So this is like, this is. So 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 I, I I get that history, and a lot of times many of us bow out of the opportunity for leadership because of that history, because of that trauma, but it leaves us in a position where we're still politically oppressed, we're still economically exploited, and we're still so socially degraded. And I just feel like as a black man, no matter what I may have to suffer, um, our condition is on my watch. Mm-hmm. And so when you make it out of the burning village, um, yeah, you could put your feet up on a hammock and you could look back at the village and be like, yo, y'all niggas better figure it out. That's right. Mm-hmm. Or you can go catch your breath and run back and mm-hmm. save the women, children, and the dogs. And I just feel like I just I just I just I'm just a man's man. I just believe like, you know, it's our it's our duty to um sacrifice for our community. There's others that have sacrificed. All I've sacrificed is my reputation. Parts That's of, a lot, though. That's a lot. But there's men and women that sacrifice their lives. Their lives. Us. Their lives. But but what about where where are the friends though? Like I feel that there should be more of an outcry of I know him, I know his character, I know what he will and won't do. How does that feel when it seems as if you and your wife was left standing alone? 
Yeah, I, I think that's all part of the process as well. We have had friends who have supported us, many in silent, though, to your point. Because no one wants silence. Because no one wants to roll in the mud and get muddy, but right? But that, that silence is betrayal to me. Mm. To me. I get you. I get you. Um, but what I've learned, though, so some, some great points I've taken from this, because, right, it's all, it's not never failing and it's not losses, it's lessons and, fa- mm-hmm. and, and falling mm-hmm. forward. And so, one, I've learned how to lead better. I've learned how to build stronger allyships. Mm-hmm. And maybe there wasn't enough investment from my part to even some of the people who I have as influential friends. Like, you know, it's, and it's easy to be chummy, chummy, buddy, buddy when it's all good and, you know, mm-hmm. right? And, and everything's uh, glory around your name. But I also it also forced me to grow a stronger relationship with the Most High. Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. men and women will let you down, but my father ain't going to leave That's me. That's right. right. And the reality of it is everybody we call our friend may not really be our friend. Right, and, and it, it exposed so much of that. Mm-hmm. It exposed people that called me a father figure, that called me brother, that called me their hero, that called me their leader. I watched them turn their back on me. And that that in itself goes back to when we talk about the original heartbreak, mm-hmm. the coach. Yeah. So again, there's another heartbreak, and I'm sure because I can see it in your eyes. I can see through the smile. I can see the pain. And when I think about the pioneers of where we are today, I was just talking to Angela before coming in here about how proud I am today that I can see African-American men on Instagram throwing it up, bragging, you know, Rolexes or whatever, and they're doing it legally. Yeah. Right. Back in the day, it used to be drugs or it used to be whatever scam, whatever the case may be. Now you have a whole new generation of young African-American men that are finding that through financial literacy, they too can have that. And I see you as probably the godfather of that movement. But I don't think you're getting the credit for everything that we're seeing right now, there's a huge movement of African-American men that are teaching financial literacy like never before. And I'm so proud of that because I didn't see that before. But I didn't remember seeing a lot of that before Jay Morrison. These are facts. So how does that feel, though, that when I don't see you being included in those rooms and I don't see you a part of those conversations, I don't see the edification, the honoring. Mm-hmm. How does that feel? Uh, at one point, it was very disheartening because many of them, uh, I mean, folks have said it on public platforms, right, and have called me the trailblazer, the pioneer. Mm-hmm. They tell me in private, mm-hmm. I respect you. You're the OG. You're the big homie. Like, you started this, mm-hmm. right? Um, most of them have been in my classes, my corner class. I mean, I have a, a whole photo album of like pretty much every popping entrepreneur you see mm-hmm. and know. Mm-hmm. Um, 90% have, have been in, in, at our classes or inspired by us or inspired by somebody that was inspired by us. And you can, your, your pride, your ego, and, and those lower vibration things can kind of like, can kind of creep in. But I've just taken it all as a, as a, as a, a time to grow, mm-hmm. an experience to grow, right? And it's like, um, it's, for me, uh, my mission was to help bridge the gap between you know financial literacy and pop culture, real estate and pop culture, and to help spark an economic revolution for our people. Mm-hmm. That mission is being met. That's right. So it was an opportunity for me to see, regardless of who gets the name and, and who gets the glory, because we get caught up in ego and bravado, right. and That's a lot right. of these men don't want to mention me because they feel like it shrinks them. Mm-hmm. And they don't want me in the room because if I'm trying to be the biggest in the room, 
but I bring the biggest to the room, mm -hmm. right? So I, I don't operate from, I operate from a mindset of, of abundance, and, and I feel like everything that God got for me, God has for me. And it's one of those, like, if you know, you know. Like, you everybody know. know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, everybody know. When yeah, you, if you, you really know, you know, right? Yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> right, Everybody knows, right. it's like, it's King J. Like, mm -hmm. and, and, that's, and that's cool, but I have so much more to my legacy. I have so much more still to, still to accomplish. But the bigger point is... Um, what, what I hope to be a vehicle to do and what God intended for our people is happening. Mm -hmm. So if it takes me to take some brunt, some blows and all that for the whole of us to be better off, then my job is done. When are you going to tell your story? We're working on that. Um, we want it to be... I want to do it right, right now, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. Every day. But I, I don't wanna... even think your story is ready to be told right now, right? It's no, still it's in the it, making, it, right? It, it, it's always in the making, right? But <laughs> it, it's ready. For phase one, is mm -hmm, ready. Mm -hmm. um, but we want it to be a, a big enough platform. We want it to be premium, a uh, premium platform in which we tell the story. Uh, but it's just so many layers to it. And that's why I always say in real life, because like I really did all these things in real life. Like, mm -hmm. I, I literally started when no one was teaching on Instagram I, or YouTube heavy in our community. And I was blitzing and teaching on street corners, teaching mm -hmm. in high schools, teaching in prisons, teaching everywhere. Um, you know, and I'm inspired the, the, the likes of, of so many of those that, that we see today. Um, and envision in hopes that it'll work out. And then the same thing with Treff. There's still, we are the largest black-owned real estate crowdfund in the history of America still to this day. Wow. And wow. so, and it's just more to do. So it's more to do. I'm excited about it, uh, excited what God ha has for me and has for us. But it's like, um, I just think about all of us in our community being behind the eight ball. Like mm -hmm. we, we got work to do. We got a lot of work to do. No time for bickering and fighting and for, for ego and bravado. Like it's still, it's all, it's like for me, I think so big, it's all little boy flex. Mm -hmm. It's like, all right, I got more followers than you or I got a icier rollie than you. Bro, it's people our age that are running whole countries. That's right, right. Like what are you, like? You, you and I think also, to me, it's always what's not said that I pay attention to. And I think the way that you handled um, some of the attacks, the adversity and so forth, those that are mature in business, we pick up on those things. And I think it's important that people pay attention to that. It's not always about the clapback. And I know that's hard because mm -hmm. many times you want to immediately respond back and you feel like if I don't, I'm not. But it's also what's not being said. But I also feel that um, there is a time that you, no one heard your side. Yeah. All we heard was the loudest mouth, and I and I think that that may have did you a little disservice, right? A lot, a lot of disservice, for mm -hmm. sure. Like, I, I don't ignore that, and I had a meeting about it today, and we were talking about the same thing. Like, we literally, and we're, we're still working through that as a brand, we mm -hmm. literally got silent um, because, one, of legal advice mm -hmm. as we're going through litigations, mm -hmm. and we're going through litigations to, to solve these things the, the right way. Um, two... Uh, I was going through physical uh, surgeries. My daughter went through five surgeries. Um, I was literally heartbroken and disappointed because a community that I poured blood, sweat, and tears into and would literally give my life for, I watched them turn their back on me mm. for someone that I introduced them to mm -hmm. and who had a, a, a three-month resume. Mm -hmm. And I had, you know, 20 years of work to, to show. I mean, so many, I mean, from shutting down Houston's here in Atlanta to out in Sterling to Otis Bird to Walter Scott to Sakizia Clemens to Sandra Plana, so many acts of activism and, and, and pouring in 65 corner classes, 24-hour corner class here on Lee and Abernathy in Atlanta just pouring in. I'm like, man, I could do all this work. And in that fast, one person with no real credibility can come in 
and disdain that. But for me, it's still always a learning lesson. And um, I think there'll be a t- platforms like this certainly help mm-hmm. uh, us get our, our voice out there. Mm-hmm. But um, it's something I needed to go through, right? And like that's all part of the process. So I really do trust the process. Mm-hmm. And and I think I get a lot of that because I went through prison. Like that was hell. I went through bankruptcy. I went through divorce. I've been through so much that it's like every time I go through something, if I approach it the right way, I come out stronger and better on the other side. And there's so many black men that have come up to me, especially who said, King, we love how you handled that. Yeah, because you I, just showed us how, how we handle without going to jail. Correct. What went through your mind? How did you say, I'm going to handle it this way? Like the mindset, because I want to make sure that we understand there's other ways to handle adversity besides violence. We need to know how to utilize that. All right, so, so three quick points. One is if you're truly a king or you're truly an OG or you're truly the bigger man, mm-hmm. then you got to be the bigger man. Mm-hmm. They're like, well, king, how are you always the bigger man? Because I'm the bigger man. Mm-hmm. It's easy for me. I'm a big boy, for real, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So that helps. When you talk about clap back, clap back reminds me of checkers. Oh, you jump me, I'm going to jump you. Mm-hmm. Oh, you jump my man, I'm going to jump your man. Mm-hmm. There's no thought process in here. I believe that as, as kings and queens, we have to have dominion over our emotions. So I got to sit back and I'm from the streets for real. Mm-hmm. Like, so I know the consequences of these actions. So I don't disrespect people online and I don't do those things because I think that people can do the things that I know can be done. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so when someone's disrespecting me or my wife or being loud or our companies or whatever, um, I got a whole bunch of phone calls from folks like, oh, bro, what you want me to do? Mm-hmm. But. It's like, I don't want to put your life at risk. Then I don't want to put your life or your freedom at risk. And then you tell on me and now my freedom's at risk. (laughs) (laughs) And then I don't want to give the system a two for one. Mm -hmm. All right. Somebody take him out because he's he's talking about me. Mm -hmm. Somebody take him out. And now you take them out. And now the system got him out and you out and then me out. Right. And what will be accomplished? So we got to learn conflict resolution better. Somebody has to lead by example. And... There's a price to that. There's a price to leadership. Mm-hmm. And, so, and I think that's going to be something that beyond everything else. I think down the road, let's say five to ten years down the road, I think there will be um, many people who use the steps that you did with handling that as a roadmap to handling adversity. Um, and then we talk about the different things that you've gone through in life, but people, we know our testimonies are things to lead to the next the next space, but I think that mm. because yes, we were able to educate different people on the financial literacy. Yes, we were able to open the doors. Yes, we were able to teach them on Instagram. Da, da, da. But our community is in desperate need of learning how to conflict resolute our issues. And I was really, really, really proud to see that no matter what anyone was saying, whether it was true, false, what, that, that, how two black men can disagree and both still be alive. Imagine if we were able to practice that during the time of Tupac and Biggie. You feel me? Right? We don't have to get along. We don't have to like each other. But we can still coexist on this earth. And I think, if anything else, I think that's what we need to see as real leaders being able to survive that. I think the other part that I picked up on in our interview today is that, again, like everyone else that I interview, to be a leader, you're going to go through being alone, being hurt, and also being betrayed. So people have to really be sure that they really want this life. 
Facts. Because this life ain't easy. It's not easy. So before we close out, I usually always act like to ask, who is your goat of all time for hip hop? Who would you name? Let's name the top oh. five. Top five. Top five. Uh huh. Ah, goat. So we gotta go Jay Z. Hove, right? Most deaf. Off the top. Mm-hmm. Um, I gotta give it to Nas. Mm-hmm. Right, Nas is Nas. You just have to. Um, and I might almost swap Nas though for Big. Right. I'm, okay. I'm, you know, I'm Big has to be I'm, in I'm, it. I'm Jersey born and raised. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I have to. It's a must. Uh-huh. Um, goat all time. Ah oh, man, um, you gotta put we gotta put Pac in there. Okay. What Pac meant to the culture mm-hmm. was just bigger than big, um, not big big, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then if I'm gonna go new school, if I gotta go, uh, I gotta get nah. I can't never go new school. I can't. They can't. They can't. Yeah. Can't. I gotta go Weezy. Yeah. Lil Wayne. Yeah. Like. Uh, I think people slept on his latest. Um, God did. Yeah. I don't think he's getting as enough credit for his bars. Yeah, like like Weezy when he said that, like he he literally like Hove inspired a whole generation and a whole culture of how people dress, mm-hmm. the drug dealer rap, bravado, certain things, class, and then Weezy just created a whole like subculture mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. like you said the dreads, the tatted face, the whole the whole sound. And I mean, look at Weezy birthed Nikki and birthed Drake. That's like, it. That's it. And let me just say this: Weezy also walked away and dropped a mic at the height of his career. He did it the way it's supposed to be done. Yeah. But I also got to give it to 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 um, Hove because he's fifty three and still killing it. And then making it not look like fifty three, like well, well, at least what we thought fifty three right, was in our heads. Right, like, right. He's like, so dope. It is just ridiculous. He's so dope. I, I always think when I'm when I'm creating anything, I always think about him and Diddy, right? Because those two, you know, regardless of what you think about their business practices, those two guys really have been able to morph our community, our culture, and made yeah. it cool and it's okay to be us and be authentic, to use incorrect language or incorrect English, dress the way we dress, talk the way we talk, and still be able to demand the respect in the corner office. And I just got to give it up to them. Yeah, absolutely. I want to just, just just land back that real quick. Mm-hmm. Um it's important, in my opinion, for our culture to understand everything you said, the freedom to dress how you want, speak how you want, and move how you want, but also the flexibility and diversity to code switch and know how to be in the boardrooms and right. the corner office. Sometimes as entrepreneurs, we get so caught up in I could just, you know, I could wear sweats and I could wear my chains and mm-hmm. I could do I could do all that. Mm-hmm. We want to be so much us. Mm-hmm that we don't even know how to evolve into the next version of us or how to be in other spaces where we still can dominate. And that's where you really become dangerous. That's right. Because in order to get that big boy money, like you talked about, you have to be able to do corporate. You have to be able to speak the language. You have to know how to maneuver. And that is very, very important. That was one of the things that I noticed that most people lacked in the industry when I first came in was not having the corporate knowledge, Correct. not knowing how to speak the lingo. But I know that you're a very busy man, and I am so honored that you took the time out today to come and talk with us. Thank Anything you. else you want to leave off with before we close out? Uh, not really. This is an amazing interview. Thank you for having me. Uh, this, was, this was awesome. Uh, I think the biggest thing that was on my, my mind was like leaders lead, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. so you it, it's about having a vision having tenacity and fearlessness to just go forward and, and, and tackle a vision 
Um, sometimes I might even be thankless, but then you don't even like, you got to think like they had campaigns that Garvey must go. Mm-hmm. And they had negative things to say about Martin and Malcolm and others. <clears throat> but years later, we, we, we praised them. So sometimes the fruit of your seed, the fruit of your investment may not be seen even in your generation, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean you do any less of the work. That's right. So, you know, I thank God for, you know, the work I do is God called. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing it. Mm. But it's called on my life to do a greater work than just for myself. And no matter how sometimes thankful, because I get a lot of praise. I get, you know, Mm -hmm. despite online noise in these streets, I get a lot of love and a lot of praise. But despite those things, um, the biggest satisfaction we all should be striving for is when our day goes, will our father look at us and say, son, daughter, I'm well pleased. You did a good job. Thank you so much. And on on that note, we'll see you guys next time. Thank you. Welcome to Coinology, the podcast.